This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons. Patrons like Alex on Earth and Nathan. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. listening to lightning strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast that promises to dig up your body with love this is season eight episode 17 covering the isolated research facility and the underground ruins in xenosaga episode three i'm your host chris taylor my pronouns are he him and with me today is sybil arnett she her matt marcus he him Ryan Beatty, they, them, and I just want to say that we are recording two podcasts on the morning of my birthday. I didn't hey. tell any of my co-hosts this, and so it's not their fault. It's my fault for recording on my birthday, but also this is really the only time that we have for the next several weeks, so we kind of have to do it. But anyway, <laughs> it's my birthday. My wife's birthday was yesterday. Well, thank Fucking God you don't have me on Steam or I would be bombarding you with bullshit during this recording. <laughs> <just relax>. <laughs> <laughs> also, you should be feel glad because my wife is older than you. So now I'm not in a mood to make fun of you for being old. <laughs> I didn't even say what number birthday it was, but doesn't also... matter <laughs> if it's higher than whatever. However old I am, it might as well be a million. Look at Chris living <laughs> the dream of the... getting to pork a milf. <laughs> Ryan might be the youngest of us. No, no, I'm definitely older than Chris, which means I might be younger than you. I'm 36. Oh, yeah, you're older than me. I'm 32. Yeah, I'm, 30, I'm 33. I'm old enough. Sybil, <laughs> <laughs> perpetually 29. I'm the baby and problematic like a baby. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm going to be murdered by a sex worker someday for my Nazi beliefs. <laughs> don't worry that makes sense to everyone who was on the monster season okay it's true right. it's true <laughs> Just Boku no stop preg- uh, early plug <laughs> to be the fair that lady wasn't there. that lady wasn't really a sex worker she was like a hired assassin who posed I think the fact that she double dipped on her checks definitely counted well, look, if you're gonna get I paid, had three get programming paid. jobs at one time. It's fine. Get paid. Congrats. You actually went through I with that. I think that also makes you a sex worker in some way because you got fucked. No, dude. Two of them were junior roles that I could do forty hours worth of work at like three hours, but get paid nice. Love it. Also, happy birthday, I guess. Uh, someone, t- <laughs> <laughs> so, someone, tell me what happened last episode. Everything must go. Civilization remains in an unknown state after the party fled Abel's Ark, but the Elsa and everyone else of note has descended to the planet Mictum, chasing after Abel and the Zohar. If you aren't here, you're square. 
Wilhelm finally reveals himself on the cosmic stage, turning out to be Ormus's current pope, Heinlein, a revelation that destroys the faith of Pellegree, Richard, and Herman, with Margulis's fate still unknown. The party had no time to moor their opponents, however, because an encounter with the Black Testament Voyager led to the sacrifice of Canaan and the last ties Jan Ziggy Sauer had to his past, ending within seconds of one another. <laughs> Fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, big rip to to Voyager and Canaan. So I we was res- here. <laughs> We resume in the center of Ormus's Archon Cathedral. In the back room is a switch to reactivate a sub-generator, allowing the party to descend into the depths on multiple, multiple elevators, which we then see in the next room. Each of these elevators goes down into different lanes of this sub-area, this cathedral basement. A few of them have you disembarking to open up gates at human scale to get the robots into a treasure room or to progress forward. Um, It's a time tax. It's like this does. It feels like a very excessively empty warehouse. And some of these lanes are also dead ends that don't have treasure in them. And it feels very unfinished. This is the second worst dungeon in the video game by like a mile. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um it's not as annoying as as the worst dungeon in the video game though so it it gets points for that a thing that developers cannot be praised enough for though is a few of these have you moving at human size across entire es scale rooms but there are these people movers there are these those like the airport walkways that Uh, that uh, and when you walk out you go faster yeah you go faster it's so much better it feels Uh so good and it also makes sense for the space, right? Like, if this is a giant hangar or, like, pathway for ESs or, like, eggs or something, and you have to, like, walk around on foot, you're not going to want to walk that whole distance. Like, Oh, know, totally. Like an Amazon worker trying to get to the bathroom. Yeah. It is funny <laughs> exactly. that I said... It is funny that they said that this dungeon feels unfinished because it does, because it also feels kind of the most diegetically appropriate. Like, you know, it's of course there would be a giant mech warehouse underneath the Ormus Cathedral if like the Ormus immigrant fleet's whole deal is, you know, mech warfare for God or, you know, to reclaim the Holy Land. But um, these kind of like catwalks up above the main ES floors, especially where you can see the like what the ES scale dungeon is below you, but you're just kind of like rolling around up top. That's kind of nice. That's kind of fun. Dungeon is so generous. It's like one hallway into room. <laughs> yeah, it just takes a lot of time to get through, unfortunately. I mean, it does remind me of uh, the what the Ormus stronghold in the last game a little bit, especially when you can see your person scale person next to ES scale objects like treasure chests oh, and so the good. giant save plate. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I saw the, the treasure chest, I took a picture and sent it to Chris. And then I was like, oh, yeah, five minutes later, you see like the ES plate and it's like even bigger. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> bigger than before. <laughs> uh-huh. So in the back of these hallways, like in the way back, is a room that contains a very conspicuous lore dump. I think that some co-hosts on this podcast are are going to disagree because I really liked this. Could not be bothered. So here it's like there are, is it nine or 12 terminals arrayed kind of on three levels? Okay, so yeah, it's 
three levels of three terminals each and you have to click on all of them and read about three to six like monitor screens worth like in-game monitor screens worth of words per terminal to get no, all the info no. off of them you have to blow up all the monitors oh on each right, terminal. right 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 yep. right and Every then it one. shows up yeah and so you have to do a lot of like individual tedious blasting and then you get a little like bit of lore information the thing that i like about this is that it is putting important Pied Piper and Kanan backstory into the text of the game and not just burying it in the database. Because, like, it comes in an extremely awkward time, right? Because it's a fleshed-out lore dump on Pied Piper directly after you watched two of the three confirmed survivors murder-suicide right in front of us. Uh, and so it's just like, oh, after the fact, here is what their whole deal was. And, you know, we did not have time to properly fit it into this game. So here's the lore <laughs> dump. Yeah, it really sucks. They're like, these people were off having a much better time in an, a much better video game that you didn't get to play. Here's, here's what happened. Yeah, but I thought that the text of... Uh, the text of this lore dump, it was it was pretty well written. Yeah, they made paper seem really sick. Yeah, reading the entries on uh, McCallum and Kanan in particular made me kind of emotional, which I don't know, maybe is a little silly. I do agree that like the task of having to blow up a whole bunch of little boxes before you can read it is extremely dumb. Well, I, I think the bigger problem with it is that it looks like it's supposed to be a puzzle, right? Yeah, right. Because yeah. each terminal has like a random set of things. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to solve a puzzle here. I can't just willy nilly blow stuff up because it has taught me, this game has taught me, don't just blow shit up. There is a thing later on where you can't just blow shit up. It's the very next mm -hmm. room, actually. I know. Yeah. And so like I went into this room thinking like, oh, fuck, this looks like a really complicated puzzle. And then when I decided, screw it, I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to blow up everything here i got the little lore nugget and i went wait this okay <laughs> we're, we're not doing anything here and then on top sure. of that like at this stage like i am like full on i want to get to the end of this game right like you have the momentum you're knocking down the big players and i just don't have time or the desire to sit and read stuff about a game i didn't play right well, mm. good news about the upcoming dungeon matt <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> But yeah, it was very, very weird that it like it presents as a puzzle. It's not a puzzle. And then at the same time, it's this weird lore dump. I mean, it's nice that it's in the thing, but, you know. <laughs> puzzle presenting computer is very funny to me. <laughs> so a little codex note. They they do so much unbelievable lore dumping right at the end Ugh. because and we'll talk about this. But then also they are just like slamming your codex fast and furious with new mm -hmm. updates. So this is technically the final update file where you will see the little update file thing in the bottom right corner of the screen. But it is not the end of the codex. You're going to be anywhere between like 96 and 99 percent, depending on if you've like, you know, gone and yawn scoured uh, the world for all those <laughs> wow. other update files. This motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> uh, I'll allow it. So. After uh, all of these gates are gone and then we can get into another room where there's like you have to like 
weave your way through like a semi-broken room and there's an upper level and a lower level and you have to do a bunch of fights and it's kind of boring. There is a door with a very obvious, really pointless lock (laughs) where there are two Zohars on each side of the door. One of them is green. The other one is yellow. And then if you look inside you and everyone, there are two Zohars. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, above the door, you can see a Zohar that has the answer key to the lock, which is well, it's like the inverse answer key, because uh, that's the thing that sucks about it. Yes. Yeah, it's so because <laughs> it, it takes so long because you have to use the yeah. the thing you forgot is in all of these games, which is the LBRB thing. You have yeah, to do that yeah. to navigate around. They don't go in any like normal person. order. No, the order is so weird. Yeah, right. It's like, we, uh, yeah, reverse hold on, let me just say English reading like, order, right? Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so inside both of these Zohars are 14 squares, right? So you have to blow mm-hmm. up the squares so that it's it a, is the inverse. Convention. Yeah, the <laughs> inverse of the lock solution that it's showing above the door. So, mm. yeah, it takes forever. And if you're really like you don't pay attention for one second, you blow up the wrong one and you have to reset. And then here's the thing. You can reset in the room, but I didn't realize it because it's not signaled well. So I left the room and came all the way back in. <laughs> it's also like I had to do this puzzle twice because I wasn't sure at first if the mirror colors should match what's on the lock or should like yeah. complement yeah. what's on the lock. You know, it's like, all right, so there's green and yellow. Does that mean that I have to turn this space yellow or the space in between the space yellow? I don't fucking know. And so I did have to do it twice because I guessed wrong, uh, which was annoying. Maybe this lock isn't that pointless and only people with special, you know, mictum vision that that can see shit from lost Jerusalem can can (laughs) see the actual colors of the puzzle. (laughs) Well, then for them, it would be just like it was for me where it rates as task and not puzzle. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well yeah, because you can only have two thoughts about it right you're like oh i make it match and then you spend five minutes doing it and then it's mm-hmm. oh that's wrong better do it the opposite way did it loved mm-hmm. it great time mm-hmm. but anyway this opens the door and inside everyone begins looking around and alan describes this place as an experimentation ward and as they do Jin reacts to something and moves forward while Margulis descends. Let's Here go. Here we go. Let's yes. fucking yes. go. <laughs> the seat is so good. <laughs> oh, dude. This whole thing is incredible. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he says, uh, if you made it here, then Pelligree is dead. Oh, we you killed your char former love. Margulis, extremely worthy char. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he continues. You killed your former love, yet you still carry on. I admire your tenacity, Uzuki. And Jin replies, I could say the same to you, Colonel. Why did you make Jin Southern for 10 seconds? <laughs> Jin, I don't know. Uzuki. That's that's I was Jim trying to do Uzuki, the low. Actually, yeah. oh, the way he says name. Jin Uzuki, no. love it yeah. every time. Uh-huh. I'm, uh-huh. I'm going to cut it in here just, you know, for for a soon to be uh, a fallen villain. Mm-hmm. I'll compliment your tenacity, Uzuki. So, well, spoilers. Margulis- yeah, spoilers, this is a boss fight. <laughs> Margulis describes everything around them as the pinnacle of human technology, machines to surpass God, the end result of desire for forbidden power, the very definition of a nightmare. And Margulis admits that the nightmare may be his fault, just a skosh. 
And uh, he said he could claim to be pure in his desires, but it was his devotion that sealed Mictum away and doomed it. That word, martyrdom, seduced and clouded my eyes. We get it. You're Catholic, buddy. <laughs> Jin fires back. For that word, your followers believed in you and laid down their lives. Why are you here? Why are you not beside them? Just fucking owned. Margulis is just like really over it. He's like, Uzuki, those who died with their beliefs were the happy ones. But what about me? There's nothing more pathetic than a pet who's been abandoned by his master. Correct. Oof. Oof. Lacking the strength of the wild, he merely exposes his pitiful form to the elements and waits to die. Woof indeed, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Ormus, Vector, the Federation, Milsha, all of them. Nothing but actors for one objective. What does the term people of the Zohar mean for us now? We're just fools made to dance to a tune of lies. Oh, Mm. Jin seeming uh, extremely over this also is like, why the hell are you still here to fight me then in face of all of this? And Marcus is like, you know, Uzuki, my showdown with you is the one thing that cannot betray me. He knows it's <laughs> going to be lit. And you know what? Hell He's right. Yes. That line is so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Margulis is incredible. Like almost she on tier. Mm-hmm. Like the second best character in the series, probably. Mm hmm. We switch it to FMV mode, and Margulis goes, you're able to kill Pellegree. I'm sure you'll be able to satisfy me as well, Jin Uzuki. As a warrior and as a man, I will leave my mark upon this world. Oh, my God. You, you, we've we've covered basically all of my favorite quotes here. But like, the in-battle quotes rock, too. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. the in-battle quotes rock. But like, I want to just reemphasize for a second fucking time, we're just fools made to dance to a tune of lies. And also, those who died with their beliefs were the happy ones. And then the one that was not here, but also rules to me, is look at the remains of a dream. This dialogue, just like the way that Margulis is so sad and broken, but still fucking determined to stop his anime rival. And Jin, on the other hand, is like both extremely self-righteous, but also like legit righteous at the same time. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. This is what this is what people want Cloud and Sephiroth to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like every anime rivalry needs to be like this. Like, just the idea of, like, the one thing they have left is the rivalry itself. Uh, it's just, it's delicious. It's one one of the only, like, truly unassailable parts of Char's counterattack is Char and Amaro's interactions for that reason. There are a lot of assailable parts of Char's counterattack, too, but I just want to shout that out. Yeah, that's Someone what the movie did... was about, was about things being assailed. We got it. <laughs> Somewhat did ruin a bit of that for me the other day where they're like, imagine watching Hathaway if you've never seen Char's counterattack, and halfway through the film he just has this PTSD flashback about two lawyers fist fighting on the road to Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> I've been laughing about that for days. <laughs> One of these must be his dad, right? Yeah, that's what's going on here. <laughs> Ah, so this is Margulis in the ES Levi. This is the final required ES battle in the game. It has no immunities. It has no weaknesses. Bring out whoever you want. If you want some safety strats, D-fires on your mechs will lower the damage of a lot of his flame attacks, especially his special, Blazing Judgment. 
Aside from that, this is your mech combat final exam. Levi is evasive and around 60% health, it breaks out Vajra Armor, a move which skyrockets its defense until you hit it with about five to seven levels worth of special attacks. This is great. So so I got a question about this because the way I noticed it worked is that this puts up resistances across all of the elements and every time you hit the mech with a special attack, it knocks off one of those element resists. To be oh, yeah. yeah, you want to use level yeah. ones here, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using yeah. anything higher is, is bad because then you're in the overcharge state longer and it takes you longer mm-hmm. to break through. Right. Well, here's the thing. Let's say you unlocked like, OK, you're using Jin and Jin has a fire sword and you just happen to unlock the fire one and then you unlock beam because everything uses freaking beam. Uh-huh. You're pretty much golden. You don't need to yeah. knock out any other things as long as Correct. you can do good damage. So he's not going to have to cast it again. And you don't have to deal with it. That's so, what like, I did. Partially take down the shield. That's how I almost beat this boss, despite being behind two gear sets. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I will also want to say that while I completely agree and I'm completely on board with the th- with the thesis that uh mech combat pales in comparison to person combat in terms of the two battle systems in this game I do want boost levels to build as fast as the first two levels of anima from mech oh, yeah. combat because oh, it, yeah. like being able to deploy special attacks and like choose like okay level one here level two here level three here because it, it builds so quickly until you start reaching that third level it, you have a lot more tools to play with it rather than like slowly building up to a super attack and oh hey right. hope you picked the right super attack because it would really fucking <laughs> suck if like you know you it does no damage well yeah this is also yeah. one of the only well-designed mech fights because True. you have the elemental armor thing and unlike characters where you only have one best weapon at a time you have like five best weapons at a time for any given eggs. So really you're choosing an elemental loadout. And this is one of the only fights that plays into like the strength of mechs being the flexibility of loadout. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things too, is I think by this point you have D anima. And if you have that and put it on one of your mechs, you're going to get to that level three much faster than you think. Mm-hmm. And so like one of the things, you know, we were talking about whether or not like, the level three anima is a trap, but I think it ended up working out because if you have the anima on, you know, NES and, you know, you're working around these resistances or, you know, in case, uh, you know, somebody puts up like a invulnerability for a second, you'll build up that anima just kind of biding your time for when you can do damage again. And then you end up with a level three. And then of course you have more turns in the heightened state, which you can do more ambushes. So yeah, like you want that, you want to put the thing the about the on gin for this fight, right? Because the first two yeah. that always fall off are fire and beam. So as long as you're not using the Dina, all of your good limit breaks, like, um, yeah, are those two elements with the exception of the Asher Cerberus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I forget if you still build anima, if you do zero damage, I think you no, no. do. Mm-mm. I think you do. I don't, but it's so. not much. I don't remember. But it it feels like no, well, because you don't build it when you miss and stuff. Right. Mm. Yeah, I forget if you do a little bit of anima build, maybe not. it just needs friction. So congrats, yeah. uh, zero damage hit works. <laughs> the the anima building technique that really just 
became a delicious, delicious treat around this battle is the double and triple attack anima build that you get where, you know, you pull off a decent enough combo that your buddies decide to chip in and then they just immediately get you to anima level three. Love it. Thank you, Cosmos. The winner mm-hmm. for amp for this fight is ambushes, which means that the winner yeah. is one level one and then two like spamming level twos, like 15 of the Schwalb shots, like the laser shotgun that the Dina has, which also yeah. inflicts like a status down that's very beneficial for this fight, actually. But um, mm-hmm. and you always get an ambush off of that. Like dual machine gun Asher wins the day again. Yeah, that's a really strong build. Just you get so many ambushes off of it. Yeah. Speaking of status effects, uh, he will bring out skin down across the party and absolutely heal that because it's a damage multiplier mm. on any afflicted mech. The mines are the mines are interesting here too. You should have a D charge or whatever that the the thing that heals your status uh, when D-clean. whenever you guard. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you should have that on everybody. It. I wish that D clean and D charge were not basically mandatory for every fight. Yeah, same. I mean, I didn't use D-Clean. I just used D-Guard, D-Charge, and then probably something related to countering Revenge or um, Counter. Like Oh, and uh, D-Horse and D-Dog also. Oh, I yeah, always had course, them equipped. Yeah, always have to. Uh, there's not much to add on strategy for this fight. It's basically you needing to last until Jin and Margulis have a discussion that wraps in the final chunk of the fight. <laughs> At which point you can burn the Levi down as Margulis tells you that he'll send the party to hell, where he starts pulling out blazing judgment without any windup anymore. As one final insult to injury, the reward you get for this fight, D-Type M, is an ES-specific accessory to deal more damage to mechs, meaning unless <laughs> you leave this dungeon or backtrack, it is of no use to you at all. <laughs> oh, dude, the battle the mm-hmm. battle rewards for the next bosses are so bad. Mm. <laughs> oh, there's there's one that I really can't wait to get to, because if you didn't steal, you uh-huh. might have missed the most tasteless items in the game. Yep. Oh, that's I, what, I, those I, are the I ones I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. So good. So... The after battle FMV is pretty much exactly what you'd imagine. It's the ES Levi and the ES Ruben going mecha on mecha in a katana duel until both men strike and Margulis falters. Oh, it's so good. It just fucking like mecha samurai duel is such a dorky thing to mark out for, but they pull it off so well and it's so sick. Mm-hmm. Never before so have you admitted col- to being weebs to such a degree. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> The cultist praises their master, saying the old man had a good eye, before telling Jin that he lives a path of strength, but he's cast aside everyone who understood that with his own blade. And now all that Jin Uzuki has to look forward to is a life of solitude. <laughs> and this is where I go, lol, lamau. <laughs> For reasons we won't talk about today. <laughs> Jin goes to object, but Margulis interrupts, rising again, sword in hand, as his mech begins smoking and sparking. Before anyone can say anything, Margulis tells his opponent, I have lived solely to settle this score, and in this moment, I will not lose to you. Impaling himself on his sword within the cockpit of the Levi. This is not a very graphic scene in either version. 
So like in the US version, because there's been so much more censorship, you you get this odd sound effect as the camera pans into the sky and you see more of the motion of like the ES, like the mech seppukuing itself, but you don't like get a blood spatter or like, you know, a close up of the sword like going into Margulis's gut or anything that would be on par with other kind of like, you know, regional version censorship things that we've talked about before. The core of the Levi then explodes in a shower of light as the robot makes the Jeb pose. <laughs> and Margulis's blade is flung into the ground by the force of the blast. All Jin can do at this point is look on and mourn his foe and rival, but the moment is ruined by the Levi's vessel of anima flying into the air where Kevin, fucking Kevin, collects it and zooms off like a little punk. Shion's pendant sparkles in reaction to this whole scene. Alan is the first, but not the last, to say what the fuck as she tells everyone that someone is calling her and a series of doors in the facility open up in what's totally not a trap. All of a sudden, it's mm-hmm. like, this, you know, there is this part of the dungeon that we just straight up couldn't get into, and this is just magically unlocked now because of yep. her pendant magic. It sucks. Mm-hmm. So Ziggy, meanwhile, is the first to speak when all of this ends. And he basically just says, uh, so I guess the Zohar's not here. <laughs> and she says that she can still feel it below. So Junior just goes, I guess we follow her gut then. And uh, <laughs> I guess we keep doing the dungeon. So you could go and pick up Margulis's blade from the ground, which will unlock Jin's final special attack, Lightning Waltz, which you will never use or should never use because it's bad and expensive. (laughs) Oh, so good. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Especially when you throw on Heaven's Tracker and every hit crits. That's what's so good about it is how many hits it is. It costs four boost, though. Well, okay. You can have like nine boost. Fuck off. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I never needed to use it, and I will talk about it when we get to the bosses. (laughs) Well, yeah, because you gave up on the video game and spammed the spell. Because the, game, the video game gave up on itself. No, the last bosses are so good. Yeah, mm. I really, yeah, I enjoy them. All right. Well, we had very different experiences. So, also, I was level just, 60, so you might have been like behind. Um, No, I was around 5960 by the end of this game, maybe, or something yes. around there. So it wasn't that far back <laughs> if, it, if it was. Uh, So if you disembark from the ES, you'll unlock the elevator, which allows you to quickly exit from this room to the church above if you want to go back in that direction. Otherwise, you can head back the way you came for a room or so and abandon your ES for the final time and climb to the path which opened up and descend deeper into the facility. 
And now everyone is ready for the game to be over. But JK, there's another mini dungeon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember that bit at both the, the end of the both of the games where there's just like extremely hard gnosis. And every battle took like eight minutes. Yes, mm-hmm. that happens again. And this is the worst it's ever been. Uh, like oh, is by it? a mile. Yeah, dude. One of them, I think, has like 30,000 health. The big whale motherfucker. It takes <laughs> a long time. Thankfully, they are like all the gnosis in here are pretty susceptible to break. And also you have two characters with the Hilbert effect. And so like there there are things you can do to make it not an absolute nightmare slog, but it's not like ever fun, so to speak. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just nuked these guys and they were dead every time. One shot. Oh, this isn't even the most annoying part. <laughs> I was complaining about the next part. I forgot this part exists. Uh, this is the mine section, right? So yeah. we're we're just basically running down a straight line, getting some treasure chests, fighting guys that are too strong. And no, there's no there's space no treasure dash. chests, isn't there? There's no um, treasure chests in the mine. Yeah, they're oh, all wait, in the there's the mine. Right. There's the mine. And then there's the crystal room with the walls. That one. Yeah, right. Yeah, big fuck to yeah. that. The Actually, mine no, wait, is there, there, just there is, a time waster. I thought there's there was one, one treasure chest and one like right at the beginning. Yeah, you go like to the left and then there's. No, I'm room. pretty sure it's just a destructible object that drops something. No chests. OK, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's slightly different. <laughs> There's a um, an optional cutscene halfway through, which is literally the only thing of interest that happens here, where Shion sees a big glowing thing beneath the party. Her pendant glows again and goes, yep, that's still going there, huh? And <laughs> then we head on and we find an elevator and uh, there's like a Tron style beam of light that when you touch it, it uh, sucks you into an energy pathway and to just drops you off somewhere else in uh, the worst dungeon in all of Xenosaga. Really? This is your worst? worst. Worse than Summer Domain, because at Mm. least this is way more of a chore to get through. I totally disagree. Yeah, I'd have to say, say, this is obnoxious as hell. If if the enemies weren't so strong, I wouldn't think that. But it's the combination of how annoying the gimmick is with how grindy the fights are. Uh, This was this is like a... I think my relative also, I'm enjoy- out of traps at this point and refuse to go back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that this is the point where the fact that we are all playing just a couple of hours every couple of weeks made it so that like when I sat down to play, all I had left was this basically. Mm-hmm. And so I was like ready to engage the battle system for just long enough that this dungeon remained fun because I'd like this, this was its own, just this dungeon until, until the Telos fight was like one play session for me. And so I enjoyed the fights for as long as they lasted. They were definitely like long, but summer domain is still way worse to me. So let's talk about this because this is our final dungeon, the Underground Ruins. It is a mix of neon Tron lights, crystalline structures, and throwing every remaining asset in the game at you between cutscene events. Real briefly, I did not think that I was going to be able to complete this game because there are so many assets and effects on screen for just the very first opening teleporter hallway where, like, the white particles and polygons are rushing in from behind and everything has a reflective or transparent surface. 
my emulator went down to four percent and so it would not accept uh <laughs> any controller inputs whatsoever turned out it was a really easy fix i just had to switch to direct 3d rendering instead of OpenGL rendering and i was i was able to like kind of chunk through it and then as soon as you hit the dungeon proper the speed normalized but it was it like just this very first hallway broke my computer for a second (laughs) this is one of the only dungeons in this game where finding an external map can save you a lot of frustration because this first room has glowing runes on the floor which you can step on that will rotate a nearby wall 90 degrees i.e turning left turns into right and reverse and so you need to move these around to make a path forward but there are also incredibly handy chests behind some of this containing things like Jin's ultimate armor and junior's ultimate armor so you can rush through but if you do this you can actually power yourself up but then you have to go back and undo the route so you can continue onwards it's great it sucks yeah like the thing about it is that like there are three levels and each time you want you realize you hit a dead end you have to snake all the way back essentially to the beginning and start a different thing and given the camera angle is so close to you you can't see where the other doors are like what status they're in like if you could see this from above this would be extremely easy to figure out but Mm -hmm. since you're looking at such a oblique angle you can only see one door at a time on screen like I ended up wasting an extra, I don't know, 20 minutes just walking back and forth trying to figure out how to get to where I wanted to be. Sometimes I wonder why GameFAQ still exists and then you get to a room like this in a video game and you're like, thank fuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, well, and it's funny because the um, the Xenosaga walkthrough that is on fandom, that's kind of, it just tells you step by step. It's like, all right, step on the first one. Now don't step on shit until you get both treasure chests. Now go all the way back and step on that first one again. It's 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 extremely specific. And it's just like, oh, thank God I can do this step by step if I get overwhelmed and don't want to do this anymore. I know somebody made it for free and good on them, but also their boss strategy is just always a spam or Kaiser. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have I have beef I mean... with that later. <laughs> I mean, they're they're not wrong though. Well, but they are wrong. They are wrong. That's the thing. You miss all the fun. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, Look, you can't give someone the tools and not expect them to use it. Well, but it's it's a it's a shitty walkthrough that assumes that you have followed the walkthrough step by step from the beginning, and so have the dark. Uh, not like the game facts don't... one is like I'm only using Ziggy and Chaos ever, so all of my okay. strategies will have you using this party the whole time. I'm like, okay. bro, what are you like... doing? I will give praise to the guide by Tomas on Game FAQs, which is very well detailed, and I checked my notes against for some of the boss strategies. Yeah, I'm talking okay. about the boss specific fact is not good. It does not even include like the boss's elemental resistance, so you still have to wear like the accessory to check it out later. It's all, yeah, I just, it's, I don't like when a walkthrough, like, prioritizes, like, um, optional side content that you have to go do in order to follow the strategy yeah. guide. Because, like, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, there walkthroughs be, there sh- are the worst for this, buddy. Like, what if you didn't spend 40 hours typing up stat blocks for every enemy and instead just had <laughs> more generic information about what the boss was like so I could make my own strategy? Yeah, but that's not how the brains of the folks who make those work, you know? 
you realize there's at least four different documents on game FAQs that have my dead name on them, right? Probably. And look, <laughs> buddy, you you make like four podcasts. We know you love to waste your time. That does not surprise me <laughs> in the least. Going back to when I was in my fucking teens. <laughs> oh, damn. So, when you had to like transcribe this from a, from your like typewriter document. Yeah. Rough. <laughs> um. The party proceeds into a large cavern with white gold veins awaiting them. Shion has her first Udu flash in hours, but even despite everyone knowing what these are now, still gets uh, like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I'm good. Brush off. It's very funny at this point. Ziggy spots some Aramaic again, and Momo partially translates it because, of course, this was in the Y data, like a fucking course. And the quote is, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. And holy shit, here is the first explicit mention of the like real world Jesus Christ in Xenosaga. Mm-hmm. It's been in the Codex before now, but this is this is like we are in the last five percent of the game like playtime wise maybe even three percent and boom here we have like jesus mentions and like the last one percent of the series turns out it stands for the yeshua data yeah (laughs) for real though i'm Uh, surprised it didn't actually do that on purpose like did they they didn't say that probably not no 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 be very i believe there is no further explanation of what the y and y data is now Mm -hmm. yeah well, and, you know, Chaos is such a failed character. Oh, that's for next episode. Anyway. Yeah. Also, Momo doesn't have anything to say this entire episode or next episode. It just might as no. well not be no. here. No, the one Her thing Momo does done. say is terrible. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. Oh. Yeah, we'll talk. Oh, we'll hold it. Hold oh. it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The one who gets done the dirtiest is Ziggy, who has a total of three lines from here to the end of the game only speaks once in the finale and basically all he's gonna say is go home and be a family man over yeah, and that's over true. and over but he he got a final dungeon boss though at the very least like you know momo's shit was resolved before we even head into abel's arc it was like okay yeah my mommy issues are taken care of my daddy issues are taken care of and my like I am only the gestalt of a dead person issues are all taken care of. Like, you know, her arcs are resolved. And so like she she gets fucking nothing. Ziggy, I know that this was an episode ago. And so it was technically like three or four episodes from the end of the game. But Ziggy did get the big Voyager showdown. But here's the thing that sucks, right? Is like. This is what was good about Xenosaga is that Xenosaga avoided this for a long time, but like. It really sucks to me that in any JRPG, when a character is done having plot developments, they basically stop to exist and only repeat variants yeah. of "Yes, I agree, let's get them." Mm-hmm. Totally, it sucks yeah. so bad. And like, I mean, they avoided it for so long, and now they're just mm-hmm. like, like, just Steinering it up right now. Well, I mean, I think the thing that makes it worse about Ziggy specifically is that he never really addresses. Okay, he got Voyager that's over with he got his revenge now he has to make meaning in his life again and he doesn't even i mean you could tell what he does by what he chooses to do 
in the ending, but he doesn't that speak meat, to it Matt. at all. <laughs> what? He's hanging out with that sweater meat. That's all he's looking for. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just would have liked him to say like something about the, hey, my, my journey is done here and now I have to find a new reason to live. And clearly it's Momo, but like, he's the most underdeveloped character by a lot because yeah. like he had an entire game, which seemed sick, right. but that you don't, we didn't get to play that. So now Ziggy is just a big fat nothing the entire time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it would make even I feel like if you did Pipe Piper, that would make this feel worse, honestly, because it just means that like the way it is anticlimactic or doesn't feel like it fully narratively wraps up like the character's arc it just you kind of have to assume a bunch of things about how he decided what to do also i mean i I know that this is we're talking about two different things one of which is you know they should have brought pied piper over and the other of which is they should have had six games to do this and which at which point pied piper would have been half of another entire game basically and in the world where Pied Piper was like fully fledged and incorporated into the Xeno, I was going to say Xeno Saga Saga, but <laughs> the Xeno Saga, uh, you would imagine that is. also the end wouldn't be so compressed as to have these like, okay, this character is done. Now this character is done. Like there wouldn't be such a collapse of wrap-up threads happening well i mean the thing is also the ways in which the characters are intertwined are not very developed here right so you would think that okay momo is done with her daddy issues and her mommy issues and all that but she still now has a connection to junior and junior Mm -hmm. stuff isn't done and she does nothing to contribute to that what junior stuff is done well at this point sorry yeah right like when when junior stuff came up a couple episodes ago, she did not contribute to it at all. And you would think she would because she was tied very much closely to it. Like, you know, well, the yeah, whole and Sakura it's like, thing. And so much of Xenosaga 3 is so good because it's the Shion show all the time and they yeah. like, really dove in. But in the first Xenosaga, the like the relationship between Ziggy and Momo was almost as important as the relationship between Shion and Cosmos to yeah. kind of like the heart of that plot. And then episode two, not only do we have Junior and his clone brothers, but also we have Junior and Momo. And so it's like, we know that there are these strong relationships that exist beyond just their own personal stories. Like, you know, Junior, Momo, and Ziggy could all have these like really connecting moments with one another at the, in the end game. And y- y'all are right, they don't. Yeah. And the thing is, you end up completely forgetting all of that because this is when all the other bullshit happens and it mm. comes and so other fa- bullshit is not good. It's so well, fa- it comes so fast and furious. And then you have no time to, like, think about its implications because the game's over. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's again, that's for next episode. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little so, teaser mean- for two weeks from now. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jim begins. Look, I just want yes. to point out one more thing thematically. The ultimate Ziggy on a thematic level bit is that his game was locked to and is now lost media because of being on obsolete tech that nobody archived. Yep. Which is so perfect. What was it? That is very apropos. It was a Java cell phone game. 
Oh, man, I played so many of those. Those were good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pied Piper was on pre... Like, it was feature phones. Yeah, like Doom RPG shit. We got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, that game rocked. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole Stop Skeletons from Fighting video about that whole series. It was pretty good. Damn. Good on Derek for moving beyond the happy video game nerd also. Anyway, meanwhile, Jin begins looking around and trying to figure the room out, asking if it's uh, all crystal. Cosmos looks it over and is like, yeah, it's crystal. No, she's like, um, it's the same material as Xion's pendant. The compound runs throughout the planet. Once again, we're like deep underneath Mictum right now. Um, the party is beginning to wonder if this is a dead end, but Cosmos says there's a massive energy source behind a wall, and Shion has another flash, claiming something is calling her. You know what I would love to be instead of Mictum? Like, we could have come to Mictum for some stuff, but I would love to be in Kenya right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's just, just the magical place where the Zohar awakened and nothing ever happens there. But, like... Uh, but also because of the whole Ren Le Chateau thing where there's like a floating remnant of Earth, it kind of implies that the Earth has been exploded a very long time ago. To me, that implies there was like um like an orb type thing that like w- the ground was lifted out with. Right. Like some oh. sort of event. Like, yeah, wasn't, wasn't because they explicitly... go back there at the end of the game. Right. Well, they're heading there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's implied that it got shifted to another dimension. And it, I guess this part of it didn't get shifted. You know, the yeah, that's what right. I mean. Like a third impact yeah. style okay. bubble event where this land gets transported away or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. what happened with um, Aranea at the beginning of the series? Right. Right. Just missed opportunity, I think, in terms of like lo- good lo- series, important locations. That would be a better setting than a mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on a planet we don't care about <laughs> i mean no! all, we only we only cared about it because it was tied to Xion and kevin's past and margulis right like this you, you well, kill yeah, margulis no. some shit happens and then you leave to go to another place is what we could have done here like i know we're out of money and shit but right i mean i know we're out of money and shit is it the, like that's really big but also like I think we're communicating another kind of quasi failure of the plot, which is like Mictum is as important to the the overall story of Xenosaga as Milsha and Earth are. It's like the third, like hugely lore important planet. And like we hear about how important it is to Margulis and to Jin, uh, you know, but we it's we don't it doesn't feel like a Milsha in the same way because we don't spend significant non-dungeon time there at well, all. You, yeah. That's the thing, right? You can't because it's ruined. Right. Like mm-hmm. that, that would probably be like another time bullshit thing happens. I could imagine having existed in the series where you spend time here, the way you spent time in um, like pastime Milsha here. Right. Yeah, also, I love what? that you all forgot. This is where, John Sauer lived and worked and died. No, we didn't forget about that. It's just... Because didn't fucking... It doesn't matter. It doesn't come up. Yeah. He just says, so, hey, I used to get coffee here or whatever, and then you move on and kill kill Jin's girlfriend. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, Junior seeing Xion's next flash is like, hey, um, you don't look so good. Sure you don't want to, like, you know, hit one of them save points over there, top off? And she's like, no, and then and then collapses into Udu world. 
Sybil, I, I hate that you, you're making me read the phrase placenta land. You did that on purpose, didn't you? You you can take creative liberties at any time. <laughs> I was able to avoid the Noid the entire I know, I know. series. No, Benjamin it's a very Button funny... Placenta Land? <laughs> it's still... It's very funny for other reasons, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, you have like a collection of placentas. What? What is the other reason? Oh, oh, because uh, my wife's pregnant. Oh yeah, I forgot about oh, that. Oh, congratulations! Um, I did know that. You didn't forgot. forget about that, Chris, because I hadn't mentioned it before. No, you mentioned it last say, time when we I recorded didn't. the what's her You have hinted at it between the lines. I put the boat two and two together, but no, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, uh, we're at second tri- trimester now. Nice. Hell yeah! Woo! It's a girl. I was just thinking Placenta Land, like the cover of Spider Land by Slint, but just pink, you know? <laughs> I was thinking of Zombie Land. <laughs> mm. Hilariously, uh, Placenta Land was a throwaway joke. I spent way more time thinking of Abel equals Abel. <laughs> <laughs> also, 2006, very good. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're in the Udu space, and uh, this time the game barely hides the face of the young boy who the mist within Udu has been sort of speaking as. And even Shion goes like, hey, oh, Abel, what are you doing here? <laughs> so we now have him floating in full visibility, and he explains that this form is what you have described me as. If you call this form Abel, then I am Abel. And then she asks if he is Udu, and his reply is merely, I am one of the ways that Udu is perceived. So the entity wants to know about the wills that desire a dissipating world (laughs) and pay attention to that phrasing. It'll come up a lot. (laughs) And also he's got questions about Xi'an herself and the world just in general. And Xi'an feigns ignorance and the boy keeps asking, uh, is pain a method to recognize yourself? Why do you all seek pain? (laughs) And everyone here feels extremely called out. (laughs) I know why I seek pain. Yeah, you she can't and- hear my eyebrow wiggle, but you know it's there. No, we hear uh-huh. <laughs> No, we know. <laughs> Shion has no answer. Udu has no answer. Is baffled by the fact that hurting others doesn't make anyone feel better, and yet we all continue doing so. God, fuck off, Takahashi ass bullshit. <laughs> then it gets brutal with Shion's. Why do you exist in the world? Why does you? What does your heart try to see in the abyss of despair? Where is the real you? She claims that she is the real her, but she doesn't know where she is currently and begins to have doubts. And uh, before she can spiral, the boy continues, I want to know, what am I? Who will define me? That's right, I am alone. Only that song heals me. And um, Xi'an begins mimicking this, claiming that he is the one who heals her. And what I want is, and then she gets cut off because uh, Momo's there just crouching over like a fucking little gremlin. (laughs) I... I know that we're probably not going to get into this until, like, not the final episode, but, like, the explanatory summary episode, even. (laughs) But this conversation, when factoring in what the actual, like, metaphysics of Udu and the metaphysics of this universe are, is so much more interesting to me. And it sucks that all of this shit 
is the in order to get into the metaphysics of Udu, you have to wade through a bunch of absolute psychobabble in the codex that they like just absolutely do not give a shit about establishing no. in the game itself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. Udu is just a giant space alien, right? Exactly. It's yeah. Udu is a Udu is a giant, unknowable, sad space alien who asks why people are sad because he is also sad. So that sucks. But like, have you tried making a podcast to cope, Udu? (laughs) (laughs) But if you're like, if you're like deep into that Xeno and Saga Endgame Codex, this is pretty neat. Hey, you want to hear the most cursed take you're going to hear about Xeno Saga today? Yes. Udu is just an Elcor from Mass Effect. Oh, don't say that. God. Query. What is it? That, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, so they should have brought to... back the brain guys. The brain guys were cool. Good news. They're making a fifth one allegedly, and maybe it'll come out before Bioware implodes. <laughs> it won't, buddy. They didn't start making it until after. <laughs> that company I is mean, dead as fuck already. Oh yeah, they're they're a corpse. Rip Bioware. See ya in hell. Xi'an gets to her feet amidst her friends and family's concern, but is immediately interrupted by the sound of a certain ghost girl materializing. Nephilim has reappeared and goes, What you seek lies ahead. If you wish to go forward, you must open the door by your own hands. This room was sealed by the will of a woman who was able to call upon the power of God. She did this to prevent what lies ahead from falling into the hands of mankind. If her consciousness does not awaken, you cannot reach the truth that lies ahead. Xi'an's response to this absolutely bonkers sentence is, A woman? Who? (laughs) (laughs) Nephilim continues as the camera very firmly focuses Xi'an and Cosmos on the same screen. I mean, like, look. Uh, what what are they going to say, Miyuki? Like, how many other women are in this actual thing? Do you know thing? how fucking funny it would be if Miyuki was the one? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that would that be very funny, but it would... such a different energy to this ending. Oh, yeah, yeah. But at least it would, like, close the book because we started with Miyuki. Remember, Miyuki was a playable character at the beginning of this game. <laughs> yeah, she was just a Shion XP with less moves. Yeah, yeah. Someone you know well. In the distant past, she laughed and cried together with you. She is your other half. Now, in order to save this universe, she must awaken. But this will force you to make a painful choice. Her awakening will erode and chisel away your life. Nephilim says, quite plainly, If you turn back now, nobody will blame you. Everyone knows your pain. Unspoken is, seriously, we all saw you pass out ten seconds ago, Yeah, your, your face hit the floor. You basically have the anime bump with the band-aids on it right now. Come on. Shion's <laughs> <laughs> response to this is, once again, to just focus on the most unhinged detail. Of just like, why are you pointing at that? Which I can relate to, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but look indulging in being sad feels so good i get it yeah uh well and also like getting extremely upset at like a totally innocuous word in someone else's uh statement anyway she goes my pain no one knows anything about me no one knows how i feel i was always alone even when i called for help no one listened the only one who listened was kevin and everyone immediately just goes yikes buddy oh 
his name can't be Kevin. That makes this sound like I am a sad teenager listening to MCR and mom doesn't understand why I like my boyfriend because Kevin is such like a teen boyfriend name. He can't. Mm-hmm. Not a good call. <laughs> I think it's so much funnier. This line actually reads in a very different way. If you happen to read a very specific line in Xion's database entry. And I don't think we'll talk about it here, but uh, bring it up. Yeah. What is it? Okay. It. Okay. All right. So I don't think this unlocks to the very end of the game, but she on what would that one unlocked? I just said, eat my asshole and then continue to fight the bosses. <laughs> Not doing yeah. that. No, I did. I did this after beating the game. Like I went, I reopened the clear file and uh, checked this out. So one of the things about Xion that I don't think the game or the series ever addresses, okay, is that she is capable of seeing imaginary space, things in imaginary space. And she's been like that since birth. And the glasses she wore at the beginning of the series were made for her by Kevin that filtered out the things from the uh, imaginary world. Mm-hmm. So, like, in, in some sense, he's the only one who understands because he's the only one who actually knows <laughs> knows that this is happening and put right. a countermeasure against it. But then again, that's not really what the emotional truth of anything else here. That's well, just really funny and in that context. The emotional truth of her not wearing glasses now is that she cannot deal with the way the world is anymore. Totally. Well, no, yeah, exactly. no, no, that's not what it says. It says that she got rid of the glasses because she just got used to seeing imaginary space all the time. And she's just like, I don't need this anymore. It's in the database that way. So fucking stupid. I know. But it's in the database that way. But the text of the game contradicts that because her glasses shattering is like, or or her glasses getting crushed is when she starts like really not doing okay. So like, I mean, sure. I mean, there's a way that you could say that the glasses were a form of control for Kevin uh, and that like removing that ended up Ah. kicking stuff down the road. but. I mean, like, with all the stuff we learn about Xi'an and, like, her history and what's going on with the metaphysics of this, like, wouldn't it be really interesting if we knew this the entire time or if oh, it came yeah, up absolutely. occasionally? Well, I guess I guess Nephilim is the exception, right? Nephilim is the one thing she we know from imaginary space that she sees a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, other yeah. people know. Other people have seen Nephilim, right? Yeah, so it's not By now. Her. The whole first game, she's basically just a Xi'an haunting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's how they explain the Nephilim thing. But yeah, once other people start seeing here, that makes less sense. I think it would be I think it would probably be annoying, right? It'd be like a reverse they live where Xi'an is just telling people what the billboard says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Xi'an and Miyuki beating the shit out of each other in front of a dumpster with those big arm cannons. This is so good. <laughs> Dude, it could the, there could be the literal board billboard. What does the fish billboard really say, Xi'an? <laughs> <laughs> so in order to counteract Xion's outburst, Nephilim tries being the sober friend for the club disaster and says, that's not true, Xion. Everyone listened. Everyone wants to protect you. Xion retorts, you're saying the same thing as everyone else. Then why didn't they save me? They stayed away from me like I was some kind of disease. It would have been better to have been denounced or condemned. Meanwhile, the camera has shifted and Alan is just absolutely beside her. 
Nephilim tries to comfort her again, but Shion goes like just full messy bitch Shion mode and is like, oh, I'll open your damn door, but it's not for you people. It's for my sake. And I'm taking responsibility for this universe. This is a great depiction of indulging in being depressed. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a good scene. I'm not calling this out in any way. Yeah. Yeah, because it definitely rings weird, right? Because we've seen Xi'an with her co-workers. Everybody likes and respects her. Everyone seems to be on a good wavelength with her, and yet she still feels this way, which is, it's her perception of how everybody treats her rather than, like, the reality of it. So, at this point, Alan runs in between Xi'an and Nephilim and says, Chief, wait! Why do you torture yourself like this? And she shoves him aside and says that this doesn't concern you. And he's like, yes, it does. I've always loved. I've, I've always worried about you. <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This series come come, from here to the end of the game, it becomes increasingly distracting how Alan's lips and hair are a bad color and do not look good. Um, <laughs> sure. But also Alan is going to get his moments between now and the end of the game. And I'm so happy about that, that I don't even care about how weird he looks. He looks so weird. I do love the Alan stuff, but it is a little distracting to me. But he's much closer. It's what it is, is like he is much closer to what the generic NPC models like on the Woglin day looked like than anybody else in the game is and so he just like looks like a fucking ps2 guy while everybody else has distinct designs because it it's not i don't think that they knew at first how important he was going to be to the entire arc of the game when they first designed alan in his little uniform i don't know dude i don't know otherwise why does he still look basically like togashi right (laughs) i mean i just think it's you set him up as, I guess you could say he would have stayed as a comic relief character, but like you kind of knew at the beginning, like, oh, they're going to set them up, right? Like that is the play. He right? could dress like Hammer, right? Why is he still in mm-hmm. the weird, the like the bad vector suit? Right. Because they didn't want to make another one. <laughs> Give my yeah, boy some jeans. You can't change his outfit. I feel like if he got to, he was probably going to be a party member status. They would have done more with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Miyuki yeah. was playable, Alan was definitely going to be at some point. Yeah. But they gave Miyuki a new outfit, you know, the uh, infiltration suit. So, you know, eh. the place they would have done it is at the is in the ending. The ending would not be a movie. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Anyway, Xion starts the pity party, saying, I summoned the Gnosis. This is all my fault. And he cuts her off, saying, that doesn't mean you have to take everything on by yourself. We're all, I mean, if we put our heads together, we can find another way. And this is where Xion just goes off, saying, Alan, you're so naive. It's too late for that. What power do you have? Can you save me? Can you save my life? And he can't respond. He's just trying to spit out something and she steamrolls on saying uh, you don't have any power at all if you can't do anything then just shut up which sounds exactly like kevin the voice acting is so good here by the way like uh-huh. it comes off that like she like despises alan in this moment mm-hmm. so at this point Jin steps in saying uh, that's too far Xion. he loves you 
And th this is something that keeps bothering me about the Alan stuff is that everyone says it before he does. And everyone says it in front of like to Shion around Alan. It's very strange. Well, right. Like that, that can happen, right? Like for, yeah. it could be like a, they, he platonically loves you like a friend, right? It's different when some, when somebody says that about someone else, that's usually what that means. I guess, but I feel like it's so obvious that his interest is romantic. Well, sure. It's obvious to everyone who's not Shion who see the yeah. last 10 minutes is unbelievably self-involved right now. Right. That's true. Yeah, she's really self-absorbed. But it's it's something that I've noticed, like, this happens a lot in the next little bit of this game is that somebody says, yeah. oh, yeah, this is all about love, huh? And everyone's like, didn't even say the thing yet. But we had this discussion at the start of this game when they yeah. go out for business stuff. He's very clearly trying to treat her. It's all on his dime, not vectors, etc. This gets discussed in front of her. And she's just like, Alan, that's weird. You have a corporate card. <laughs> she's only ever seen. I rescind my complaint. I forgot he was still employed at this point. Um, I think he's fired by now. But like that scene where yeah. he he invites her to the testing and it's like, no vector did not reach out to her. He did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It, it felt a little weird to me, but Shion doesn't even respond to this at all. Just has a flash of uh pain again. And you know, goes, Ugh. and Alan finally musters up the courage to speak again. And all he can say is, do you miss him that badly? Even with your body broken like that, you still have to see him, which is heartbreaking. Uh-huh. And she just no-sells him and walks to Nephilim, who gives a final, okay, but are you sure about this? And at her affirmation, everything goes white. Shion opens her eyes, and at first she thinks she's back at Renlu Chateau, but a second or two later, she realizes this is familiar, but it's on a planet. She has arrived on Lost Jerusalem. You get to, like, do a little control here in the um, vibrant, alive version of the graveyard you were in earlier. Big letdown here is that you don't get to look at the tombstones out of love, like a little I bit know. of, like, ES detail here. This would have been mm. the perfect place for it. Yeah. And instead, you shoot through the comically placed rocks into the tomb that Telos was in. And uh, Shion's keyed archaeological mind recognizes that the stones look fresh as if they were just placed. In the back of the room is the same stone sarcophagus, the same cross, but Chaos is looking out from behind this thing? With extreme golem energy. Oh my yes. god, yes! <laughs> he's, 
just like this weird cowering big eyed koi boy with robes. It's so fucking goofy. Yeah. He does not recognize Xion, but he does respond. Since you are here, you must have come for her. And Xion's like, yep, I'm all about the hers. Where is she? So he points to the sarcophagus. And, and then we all go, damn, Mary could get it. <laughs> damn right. <laughs> She pushes it open, and inside is a dark-skinned woman who resembles Cosmos and Telos. Kevin must have used her as the model. She leans in to touch black hair without asking, and this causes the woman to awaken. (laughs) It's what she does! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just like a Joe Biden Photoshop where he's leaned in smelling it. Uh, She's just close enough. Yeah. Uh, as the figure opens her pale blue eyes, Xion is taken aback, and there's another flash of white. And <laughs> suddenly we are seeing visions of another time and another place, and Xion's internal monologue appears over the scene. A man is preaching in the desert to a crowd of onlookers, kind of a small crowd, honestly. Uh, Xion comes to recognize chaos, and beside him is this particular woman. We get another flash, and the woman is kneeling on the ground behind a figure standing in the doorway. Did you really know sell this in the notes as a man? They don't ever say it. Yes, it's Jesus. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's be real. It. Yes, sorry. Yes. This is the the scene at the end of uh, (laughs) Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we we see Jesus preaching. Uh, and then in this flash, as the woman is kneeling, she asks, what is this feeling? Is it anger? Despair? Uh, and then another flash, th- the woman is cradling the man's body in a field of flowers. Sorry, the woman is cradling Jesus's body in a field of flowers and says, no, you're sad, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny how they don't explain how Jesus connects to Udu and everything, right? Like, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of an important detail? Hey, buddy, this is like the Wilhelm show is like yeah. an entire the Wilhelm and the religion show is like an entire game. Yeah. I know. It- I know. Oh, God, you know, it'd be really funny, though, if Wilhelm was like Jesus's soul. <laughs> well, but I mean, you know, because Wilhelm has like a concrete like he is metaphysically a very important role that is just not explained at all yeah. well, i mean I, again we'll get to it this is the problem with recording uh two episodes in one day is that like we we're know we're gonna up. get to this stuff let's say it yeah. bitch lucifer yeah. <laughs> not, not only is he lucifer though but like he is he is also kind of the he's appointed himself the unfeeling guardian of the lower domain to make sure that the lower domain doesn't collapse and take the upper domain with it. He's like Udu's own guardian as well. But like the way that he does that is by making Udu the adversary, which is kind of a pretty dumb strategy, in my opinion. Anyway, yeah, Someone's gotta all clean of Udu's this litter box. <laughs> All of this shit, like, 
there is there is text that concretely as concretely explains as like as possible why jesus was such an important figure and what eternal recurrence is like you know every, every huge thing that they just gloss over in these last couple of hours it's there mm-hmm. there is there is space for it they just didn't have the time to implement it in a way that would have made any sense at all yeah instead it just Oops. comes off as extremely random and this is what i mean yeah. when i say like the space alien part of the plot is bad yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but anyway suddenly the woman is standing and she turns into cosmos for a moment and then changes back just to tell the audience what's actually happening and Shion is unsure why the woman is crying directly after seeing her sad and cradling a dead man. Hmm. And she says to her, I see you've lost sight of yourself, just like me. Remember that bit in the first game where Shion was such an empath that she was counseling the Realians? Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> can't Come a long way backwards. Anymore. <laughs> the, word, em- the concept of empathy has been ruined. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so Xi'an takes the form in the vision and hugs the wailing woman from behind saying, I understand. You don't know where you stand. Let's find out together. All right. Let's try to find out who I am and why you are here. Let's look for the answers together. Cosmos. And then we hear Cosmos mutter Xi'an softly and the whole scene fades to white. Meanwhile, in reality, everyone is standing around Xion's unconscious form again. Like, I hope they brought a book as often as this happens. As she comes to, <laughs> Cosmos leans in and offers to help her up. And Xion's all excited. Cosmos, you've awakened, haven't you? Into your true form. And then just Tilo shows up as just like, Mary. And Xion's reply is like, Mary, who the fuck is that? I forgot what <laughs> happened 10 seconds ago. I didn't dream journal. And Tilos takes the center stage and says, Mary Magdalene, my will, you finally awakened. That is not the vessel in which you are meant to dwell. Surrender and become part of me, Cosmos. And then it's just the FMZ, FMV zone where we have a robot fight and we're all reminded that every time Junior fights in a cutscene, he is the least effective person to ever exist. <laughs> I love that Junior becomes a punchline for this final part of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, uh, this... Even Shion can handle Junior. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this time, Cosmos is holding her own, and the party begins to kick in as well, with Ziggy sliding in on the attack behind one of Cosmos' dodges. But this is Xenosaga 3, and every fight Ziggy is in has a fuck finish, with him being caught by the hand and kicked across the room. Shion and Jin come in next, working in tandem to push the weapon woman back, and they keep her at a standstill until she catches both of their attacks in the crook of her knee. Oh, Shion is going pretty sick. Oh, so Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm underselling this. This scene is really well animated. It's one of the last super impressive pieces of cutscene work before the finish. And they do really good, like, character, uh, or, sorry, camera work where they're, like, you yeah. know, uh, doing, like, circular panning around a single character and shit. Oh, it's extremely good. Yeah, and, like, this is a nice upgrade from the fight in the uh, 
in the Renla Chateau cave where only Cosmos fights. Like, I like that the whole party jumped in here. They did a good job, like, this, showing that, oh, yeah, all of them are capable fighters. They're not just going to stand there and watch again. It's been a really long time since there's been, like, a good cutscene. Like, the last time they tried this in the testing ground, it felt, like, really lifeless. Like, what was mm-hmm. happening was cool, but the cutscene was not good. It's, like, really good for it to be back in, like, peak form. Mm-hmm. So Shion asks who she even is and how she and Cosmos are both connected to that woman. And this is where we learned that despite that whole flashback, Shion put zero and zero together because Telos, clearly done with this bullshit, just spells it out. She is the partner of the Messiah. My body is Mary's body. Inside of Cosmos who it should be noted, now has blue eyes like the woman did, or like she did at the end of Xenosaga 1, inside of Cosmos sleeps Mary's will. And Cosmos reacts to hearing her name by doing a flying kick over the Uzuki siblings to attack, pushing Telos into a dodge. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Telos speaks again. Now that Mary's will has awakened, I will take it inside me and complete my resurrection as the true Mary Magdalene. Cosmos is nothing more than a temporary vessel. Shion just begins going, wait, what the fuck? What does that mean? What does this even have to do with Kevin? What's go-? And then Telos cuts her off and is like, what? You mean you don't already know? You're the key, Shion. You are the maiden of Mary Magdalene. Mary's resurrection is what he desires. The convergence of dissipating will, the revival of the soul, that is Mary's duty. Um, I have questions here. So uh, let me, (laughs) I have questions. But Telos summons her weapons. When Mary fulfills her duty, Zarathustra shall speak. There's the title. Mm-hmm. Cosmos summons her chain gun. The two begin running around the room, firing on one another, doing some wall parkour. Junior also begins shooting in the air wildly because the cutscene director has realized that he is a punchline now. <laughs> so bang, bang, pew, pew. Mm-hmm. So Talos lands first, wraps an arm around Shion's neck and says, uh, you may very well be the maiden, but interfere and you'll regret it. Do you understand? And she pauses and uh, then unconvincingly reassures Shion as she uh, spits a laser blade out of one hand, saying, you don't have to be afraid. It's all right. And the laser swords are so cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to kill you for his sake. Then Talos tosses her and begins shooting in Shion's direction, but Cosmos lands and shields her from those shots. And Shion can only ask as her... uh, Gal pal shrugs off all of these uh, laser bullets getting shot at her with a, what are you? (laughs) And Cosmos again explains it, which is, I am Mary and I am not Mary at the same time. Wasn't it you who said that the heart can change from one moment to the next? Hell yeah. I don't don't know if that explains the situation any better but no okay it super does it super does kevin it's 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 a momo situation but just like transmuted across thousands of years it's like Mm -hmm. um kevin created a robot to house the will of an ancient person with magical powers Mm -hmm. but in like spending time with Shion, she also developed her own soul on top of that and stopped being just a gestalt and started being mm-hmm. like her own person. And then when the will of Mary reawakened, because Mary is like, you know, a good and caring soul, it's like, I think recognized, oh, I should be both. I should not so, 
totally subsume Cosmos because Cosmos is her own person. The message so, so of the Xenosaga thing is, turns out to be that washing dishes is emotionally healthy for women. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, the thing that makes this a little strange is that when you think about it, Xenosaga has a lot of people inside of other people. Yeah, right? it does. It's right? like fucking so like, Kingdom Hearts tier shit. Right, yeah. but here's the thing. This is the one time where they meld together because otherwise, when you think of like Junior, Junior has Albedo inside him right now. He's just mm-hmm. Albedo is sort of MIA. Before we had Yuriev inside of Negredo. There, there's a lot of like multiple personalities in or souls in one body. And it happens even at the next episode too. <laughs> and this is the only time where there's a, yeah, like some kind of like interaction between the two and not keeping them like either mutually exclusive or like just wholly individual while also being the same person at the same time. Very Remember interesting. Remember when we had the much, much shittier version of this with that one mook in Xeno Saga 2 who worked for Ormus, who none of us can remember the name of, who did a berserker mode? That happened too. <laughs> yeah. Just very weird in that context. So throughout this short conversation, it keeps being punctuated by laser sounds and flashes. And at one point, Talos tries to pistol whip Cosmos, which is a choice. Yeah. And Cosmos blocks it without looking because hell yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> Finally, Cosmos finishes her chat and turns towards her doppelganger. Much more emotional than ever, she proclaims, I do not know what will happen if I join with you. But if you choose to harm my friends, I have no choice but to stop you. Then Telos backs off and begins laughing, going the full uh, Ojo-sama, and then says, how amusing. Try your best to entertain me. So we're about to talk about Telos as a boss, but should should we talk about my questions about Shion now, or should we wait? So, like, everybody else who existed in ancient times who's still alive, so you know namely chaos and wilhelm they're just around still they didn't age they're just like they they're seemingly eternal beings cosmos is you know the soul of a person who died who is resurrected into her so okay she makes sense but like we've seen shion as a child a lot so how is Shion also the maid of Mary Magdalene in the ancient times? I don't understand how the physics of that work. I think the, the physics of answer, that work with like reincarnation type shit, right? That's exactly it. Um, Mary in Cosmos is an artificial reincarnation. They gathered her from the collective unconscious. Shion as the Marianekind is straight up. It turns out if you have infinite time and infinite space and infinite genetic diversity, you get one of these again. She's got a bloodline that's super Zohar powered. The, Interesting. The UMN okay. is like the, basically like the life stream for your brain, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. people are just like yes. reborn out of that. So that's probably what's yes. up with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nature versus nurture. All right. That. This is still hinky, but there's yeah. I guess there's there's text in there that supports it. 
Um, it's just like it's it's so funny because there's so much bullshit being thrown at you. It's always funny where the line is. It's like, OK, I can accept literal Jesus being in this story. I can accept Cosmos being the reincarnation of Mary Magdalene. I can accept chaos just being there, being Gollum for Jesus. But like, how is she on? It's like, that's well, my line, I guess. What's weird? Well, it's because Shion is the magical chosen one in multiple different ways, which is why it's so right. weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She can see the imaginary space. She can rip a hole through uh, through the dimensions to pull the gnosis out of the lower the lower domain, and also mm-hmm. is Mary Magdalene's handmaiden. Don't worry yeah. about it. And it's also just, is uh, Kevin's girlfriend. <laughs> Look, in a too small of an organization, you have to wear a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> so to the actual boss, definitely steal from Telos. You get an extremely good accessory, which will allow you to uh, ignore the curse effect coming in all of the rest of the bosses after this. Mm-hmm. The fight seems like it should be awful, but it's not bad. Telos has a lot of weaknesses. She's a machine type, but it's humanoid. So you could do the neck break. You could do the M buster. All her shit's beam element, so you can just equip defense against that. And her best attack is single target, so it's very hard to get owned here. There are some, like, things to look out for where Heartbreak, when she casts Heartbreaker, she's going to do, like, multiplied break damage. Heaven's Tracker is at least two turns of guaranteed crits. I like that the bosses start using your master skills also. Mm Mm-hmm. Either one of these buffs makes one of her weaker moves, Echidna, into a, uh, Big damage dealer, since it's a uh, medium physical break attack that's designed to break the target. And because it's multi-hit, Heaven's Tracker just really owns on this. When she begins preparing her special, uh, you can just lose someone. You don't need to guard. They're going to die no matter what. It's um, high fire damage, but single target. So you just revive. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. She doesn't even have like a low HP desperation move like most of the bosses. And at this point, your reward is just some good armor for Cosmos. So Telos picks herself up off the floor in the wake of the battle. And of course, she has gone into full scenery chewing ham mode, which, you know, is the opposite of a Cosmos. So I see it's more than just your appearance that has changed. But that won't be enough to stop me, she screams as her chest opens into cannon mode. (laughs) Shion screams for Cosmos, but the blue-haired woman doesn't even flinch and just stops the blast with one hand. So Tilo starts going off the deep end, doing the whole, that's not my real power bit. And Cosmos just tells Shion, please stand back. Tilo's prepares a bigger energy cannon blast. And Cosmos just, just opens up to perform the same attack in a different color. Telos's attack is wiped out instantly as the blue orb wrecks Telos, going <laughs> right through the attack. Okay, the Cosmos <gasps> thing is extremely uncool. Uh, it's so fucking funny that yeah. a big emotional moment involves an outfit's titty flaps opening. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. so right. two fucking of them. funny. Like, two of them. Why can't she have a neck thing like Telos does? That's cool. Uh, Or you got like the like stuff, right? The thing is, there's explicitly a knife to cut the fabric. Like, that's how it works. Oh, my God. It's It's so so weird. Why can't it be the ab laser? The ab laser (laughs) is not as goofy as this. Uh Well, she no longer has the ab laser after her redesign. 
Well, yeah. Well, no, but then how is she using X-Buster in uh, all of my battles? <laughs> well, that's just a laser. She doesn't have the core uh-huh. made of Gnosis anymore because she's got an Erde Kaiser reactor in her. <laughs> Everything just... has a fucking Erde Kaiser in it. <laughs> Professor hates game. muscle girls. I was laughing so hard. It's, it, it is in such poor taste, but in an unintentionally hilarious way. Well, And the Ugh. funny thing is that this becomes like her signature attack. Like, I remember seeing on the wiki, like... When she shows up in Cross Zone, a Project Cross Zone, that she has this attack and they give it extra boob jiggle because, of course. <laughs> uh, so, like, this is like, if you try to say, oh, man, you know what? She looks like a hot anime lady. And yeah, sure, he has garters and stockings and all that, but it's not that horny. And then you see this and it's like, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. You're it's been horny the whole time, I know, but it's it's harder to defend with this. Project Crossroad is the horniest video game you'll ever play, by the way. No, it is not. That is definitely not true. <laughs> out, of ga- out of games that are not just like porn games, it's <laughs> it's up there. Dude, Project Crosszone isn't even Neptunia horny. Mm. It's like three characters and so many others are completely sexless. Phoenix Wright isn't going around fucking. Every time you tell me about Neptunia, I think a little less of you. Stop doing it. Never. The more I know about it, the the more damning it is that you like the Neptunia series. I just bought the Neptunia VTuber game. But, okay. It has actual Japanese VTubers voicing themselves as party members. That's very funny. Yeah. So um, since we're mentioning Project Cross Zone and like a lot of post-series stuff, Cosmos and Telos have the weirdest legacy after this. Because they appear in Cross Zone and Telos is a villain in that game and Cosmos has reverted to her stoic Xeno Saga 1. What are emotions? I cannot contraction. And Telos is full ham, full stop, like the manic phase of this fight. It's such a weird counterbalance. I don't know anything about them in Xenoblade. I'm going to presume it's very much the same. I just love that we have decided no. these two must be an eternal yin yang recurring throughout time and space. Well, all your so all your dudes are non characters outside of their quests, and their quests are not very good. It doesn't okay. They they don't like tie into each other. Mm-hmm. Got it. It just exists so you can canonically say. And after the ending of this game, they landed here. So Cosmos picks up some shrapnel from the floor and bids her successor model goodbye, flinging it into the core of the other android fatally. So I guess the so the game tries to sell this as basically, yes, Telos was mechanically superior in every way, but Cosmos had both like a much stronger will because she had the will of Mary and also had the power of love on her side, essentially. But we all know it's also because she has the Erde Kaiser parts in her. Like, you know, the game doesn't <laughs> say that explicitly, but like, that's also, that's why she's, that's why she's better. Yes, it's the power of love, but it, it's, it's also Erde Kaiser. It's the power of love of science. She has the master skill where she takes 16 damage from one of your bullets. It's fine. <laughs> and this also confirms that for all the talk of Kevin Winnicott as the big dick energy designer of robots in the galaxy, the professor is so much above his level. Yes, yes. Special shout out to how good the uh, the gun attack sound is in the fight. It sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
Cosmos then walks over to Telos's inert form and both begin to glow. Ziggy gives the incredibly reasonable caution of, be careful, we don't know what will happen next. And before he's even halfway into the sentence, Shion is running towards the light. Cosmos absorbs Telos, and as she stands back up, she tells Shion, there's no need to be concerned, I'm fine. <sighs> you know, I, I find the whole Telos thing extremely underwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partially because, I mean, she doesn't really have a character. And she only shows right? up three like, times, right? Yeah. I mean, I would have wanted this rivalry to be, you know, I wouldn't say not on the level of Margulis. You don't have the time to develop that. But to have like, it feels like it's purposeless other than let's put another hot anime robot in here and have them fight. Well, that rivalry can never be good because the uh, mm-hmm. the other uh, foil is Cosmos. Well, mm-hmm. and they're yeah, not asking any philosophical questions with no. Telos. Like Cosmos had the whole like, you know, okay, she was designed by humans. She's entirely mechanical, but she seems to have a soul, but she also seems never to recognize her soul. What's going on? And Telos has None of that, because it's it's just like, oh, well, I'm just the better version of the body. The body was the, you know, Cosmos is the prototype and I'm the real one. And that there's no there's no question being asked by the game there at all. Yeah. And they could have they could have done something, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about what is the purpose that, you know, we had a lot of talk about beings being created for a purpose. Like Kanan had that whole thing of I only exist for one purpose and that sucks because it's a bad purpose. And Cosmos, it seems like, again, is like the exception where she's the one that was built for a purpose and then decided to do something else or Mm -hmm. grew into something else and was okay with that. And I don't know if this is just like a subtweet of all those other characters that are like, I can only exist for one reason. Therefore I must like sacrifice myself or something. I, the robot am the most emotionally healthy. (laughs) (laughs) So, at the very end of this room, the crystal opens to reveal a path forward. We then cut to Wilhelm, who is clearly somewhere else in this place, based on the uh, similar style of the room that he is in. And he says that it is time, and that Mary is about to insert the key into Zarathustra. And Kevin is behind him, silent and brooding. Wilhelm teases him a bit, saying, Are you worried? After all, it was not Telos who awoke, but Cosmos. It was. It went different from your script. What is up with the reverence of scripts in Japanese media? <laughs> the Dead Sea Scrolls? Wilhelm is absolutely a everything-going-according-to-plan asshole type, which yeah. is why, yeah, only when he really loses it do you see him show any emotion. Mm-hmm. So we then head into the FMV zone again as Kevin assures his daddy. Is that is that what we're going to call Wilhelm? <laughs> I guess he's a sugar daddy in a certain way. My man is basically in a gimp suit for this fucking power bottom. What do you call this relationship? <laughs> I guess that's fair. Uh, Wilhelm does anyway. have powerful bottom energy. Yes. <laughs> Wilhelm is like if... <laughs> Fit right in the Discord. (laughs) Wilhelm is like if Napoleon from Resident Evil 4 had no chill. Are you implying that Napoleon had chill? 
Yes. <laughs> Compared to that dude just channeled that dude just channeled all his bullshit into making statues of himself and going, yes, yes, fun. I have a throne. And Wilhelm is just like, no, meetings are to be five minutes long and a robot will transcribe everything in case I need this data. Uh, anyway, so Kevin assures him that that's no problem at all, that it was Cosmos instead of Telos because they have Mary Magdalene and Shion and both of them are in our hands. So behind the two of them, the compass of order and chaos begins to glow. We cut to Gedalia, which is a planet made of reused flashback Milsha assets where Gnosis are in the streets covering and crushing every human being in their path. Rip. They have never seen an asset they will not reuse. Gnosis from Xenosaga <laughs> 1 come back on the ending. I'm like, did we fight that dragon guy in this game? Yeah, no, Where that, is that I, from? I was like, I was like, damn, there are some cool designs happening right now. And it's like, oh, wait, shit. I guess I've seen a couple of these yeah, before. These are the guys from the end of Xenosaga 1 from that, like, mm -hmm. death hallway. Yep. As we zoom out, the skies are filled with Gnosis. And suddenly we see Abel's arc wrap its limbs around the planet, which starts growing a flaming red as the scene ends. Back aboard the Elsa, the bridge crew is wondering what the hell is going on as Gnosis activity is ramping up exponentially in the star system. Hammer fills us in that until a moment ago, Gedalia was warding about Gnosis activity, but now it's joined the 80% of star systems that have become unreachable, and Shelly pipes up from another terminal. Some kind of code is moving from the U through the UMN. Could that be the cause? And Yuli wanders over to her terminal and exclaims, that's Lemagaton. Oh, wait, no, it just kind of looks like that. Thank you, Yuli. <laughs> <laughs> We return to the party. The Elsa has just called Junior, who we actually see on a little comlink call in the corner, while Momo explains, there are Gnosis above the planet, swarming. Cosmos says, so me waking up and this door opening, everyone wants what's inside here. This is bringing them running. Xion asks how that could be possible. And finally, 10 steps from endgame, Chaos walks over and goes, well, you see, Zarathustra is one of the relics of God. Those who worshipped Mary Magdalene brought it with them from lost Jerusalem. God gave Mary a choice, the power to change the form of this universe. But in order to call upon the final power, a key is needed. He goes, yes, the pendant you got on. He Damn. Entrusted <laughs> you with, he entrusted you with that pendant for this day. Mary gave the universe's best foot rubs, it turns out. <laughs> Cosmo speaks up, standing still, and says, Shion, he is waiting for you ahead, but you are still uncertain. If you meet him as you are now, you may lose sight of yourself. Shion does the perfect ally stumble, where she trips over dead names and asks weirdly inappropriate questions. Cosmos, uh, I mean, uh, Mary, uh, you recovered yourself. What does that feel like? <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, no, it's so good. You're right. Um, Shion then redirects the whole thing into, you're right, I have no idea where I stand, but that's why I need to see him. Uh, poor, I'm glad poor we're calling Shion in instead of out. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Otherwise, the universe would, like, cease to <laughs> exist. Um, Cosmos is gonna just let Shion fuck this up for herself and takes her hand. We finally regain control after all of that, and Cosmos has learned her final special attack, D to Neritas, 
And at this point, we're all going to retreat one room and save at the uh, save point prior to the fight because the only thing that's left is the end game. Like there are two and a half bosses and a whole lot of cutscenes left. It it's so weird that you get an ultimate attack here because that makes it worse than the first like the the machine gun because you've had that mm-hmm. the whole game and it's very leveled so this is like the worst thing you could do with your boost well i thought mm. that was the same thing with Jin's ultimate attack too but Jin's has right. enough hits and combined with his master skill that it's good but oh, i don't know about mm-hmm. the detonary time especially because it's like everything is res- in the end of this game resists fire yeah that does make it much worse doesn't it yeah uh, anyway, that's the end of the plot for this episode, but we still have database entries of the week. And we're Shout starting off crest. with <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll start off with database entry 368, whitening. In most cases, people who come in contact with the Gnosis experience a phenomenon where their body turns white and shatters into pieces. Cases of people mutating into Gnosis after whitening, while rare, have been confirmed. During the Gnosis attack on the Woglinde, Shion and Andrew were attacked by a Gnosis. Remember Andrew? And uh, who the fuck is Andrew? This- <laughs> Cherenkov. Oh, Andrew Cherenkov. No one knows that. No one calls him Andrew. <laughs> yeah, everyone calls him Drew. Anyway, uh- <laughs> Andrew blinking white guy Cherenkov. <laughs> Oh, God. I don't, if I could only make a GIF as uh, the image for <laughs> for the episode, that would uh, be very confusing to everyone listening, but it'd be very funny to me. <laughs> so anyway, they were attacked by a Gnosis and subjected to this whitening phenomenon for a short period of time. Both escaped with their lives, but Andrew would later mutate into a Gnosis. Despite the fact that everyone who has whitened will eventually Gnosify, Xi'an has continued to avoid this disaster even to this day. Whether or not there is a reason for this is unclear. I'm glad they forgot about this for literally the next the next bit with Alan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, OK, there's the database is being coy because what we know about Xion, like it makes total sense that she wouldn't get salt pillared or turned uh, into a gnosis reading. herself. We'll, we'll cover this. OK. And database 373, Maiden of Mary, a past life of Xion. From the term's nuances, it could be guessed that she played some kind of supporting role in the abilities of Mary. It is thought that Xion's affinity with the Zohar doesn't originate from the blood she inherited from her mother Aoi, so much as it is a peculiarity of Xion herself from the emotional bond she shared with Mary during the Lost Jerusalem era. That's it! That's the only explanation we get for why she didn't die in Xenosaga 1. Who the fuck is thinking this? Damn, if you're gay enough, you don't get to, you're immune to being a space alien. <laughs> but but only partially because she started to turn white. She just didn't turn white immediately. Well, but here's what I mean, it, I'm I'm adding I'm adding some stuff that the game's that the game only kind of partially adds and so you kind of have to do a little bit of the work yourself. Sure, but like <sighs> Xion being such an embodiment of trauma, pain, and despair that she basically calls the Gnosis herself. Like she's she's already disconnected. It's like she's she's in the a unique position where like a lot of her spirit is disconnected from the collective unconscious, but because she has these special like Zohar powers and also uh particularly <laughs> excuse me, heightened empathy when she's not completely in mentally ill mode. 
Sorry, I was going to figure out a better way to rephrase that, but then I realized that, that that's what I call when I get completely unhinged about shit, and it was like, oh, okay, that's why I'm saying it that way. That's probably insensitive to other people. I just call anyway. it Club Disaster Shion for a reason. Yeah, Club, Dis- <laughs> Club Disaster Shion. But, like, you know, it's... The game gets real close, close enough for me to explain why she didn't die, just because it's like, I mean, she's hyper-connected with the Gnosis. She's kind of... She should have turned into a Gnosis a million times already, and if she had died at any point, she probably would have, but because she stayed alive through all of this shit... It's like, yeah, okay, I, I, I buy it. I buy it. You know what? She's Ichigo fucking Kurosaki. She's got her dad stuck a dick in seven bloodlines, and she inherited the rest. <laughs> you know what would have been actually really funny is if when Jesus died, the Gnosis got called. That the maiden called the Gnosis when that happened, and then his resurrection stopped it. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? Actually, that would be incredibly sick. <laughs> yeah. Just watching Dismas turn into a space whale. <laughs> <laughs> Lazarus just gets real lanky and melty. <laughs> What's up with his shoulders? Is that a lightning symbol on there telling me what you're weak to? Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> just big fuck to the database. <laughs> Why is it in the database? We went through like the vector research facility. Why can't the metaphysics of Udu be on computers there? They would know about it. No, they wouldn't because Wilhelm just occasionally sends a fucking memo that says do this and everyone goes, oh, another division must have done it. Nobody asked. It's that thing at the start of the game where everyone's like, who invented the UMN? Uh, I don't know. Like, I guess, uh, I guess also like Wilhelm must have been the way that Kevin got Mary Magdalene's soul into Cosmos. Yeah, it's explicit. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was about to say, like, Kevin was not a testament at that point. So wouldn't it work? Shout outs to the preservation of the ancient peoples that Mary Magdalene was so well preserved that Cos- that Kevin could just do a full 3D model. Dropping it up, do we have any closing thoughts on this dungeon? Very bad. It's very <sighs> bad. That's my closing thoughts. I mean, the th- my thing is very simple. I casted Erde Kaiser Sigma over and over and over again and glassed everything, including the boss, including <laughs> like I did enough damage to Telos to one shot her. Jesus, just why? Like 70,000 damage in a single attack. It's that silly. It's not it's not a very good boss fight like that. Is, it's just like. It doesn't have any like strong gimmick going on. It is just like mm-hmm. a JRPG boss fight. Yeah. Whereas I so I the one thing that I don't want to get lost in all of this is we're in the spot where when they land the thing, it lands incredibly well. And mm-hmm. when they miss the thing, it misses like extremely off base. And yeah. so the Jin and Margulis shit is incredible here. And yeah. also that margulis mech fight is one of the best boss fights in the series and definitely the best like mech boss fight in the series for is that sure true? what about that what about the mm. battleship i think the battleship is a better mech fight but not by a lot you can get yeah. rng'd in the battleship to have a not fun time oh that's true where it's like you know here i don't think that it, it's as likely 
to happen. Although like the gimmick of the battleship fight is extremely cool. I got fucked by it a couple of times. I, I think from here until the game is over, every time a scene is about characters, it's really, really good. And every mm-hmm. time a scene is about the plot, like what's up with the Gnosis and Wilhelm and the Testaments is really bad. It's the it's the final yeah. season of Lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's like, talk oh, about I... where Shion got this terrible tattoo. <laughs> the the lack of time to develop these ideas, because what if you read the database for six hours and the wiki for like another eight hours, you're like, wow, this stuff's a really great. I wish any of that had been in the game and the game would have been really great as a result. Also, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely like this is so weird to me because i knew about the mary magdalene stuff before i played this game somebody spoiled that for me and i don't remember how but like i've been waiting for this to drop all game long and it happens here and it happens in a way that doesn't really connect to anything at least when it comes to the emotional core of it it's so weird the accelerated pacing is so good for character work, but so bad for the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I've been wanting Cosmos to be a character for so long, and she finally gets a moment where she's like, here we finally get her actually feeling like a character and not just a robot, not just RoboCop, right? And it still isn't enough. Yeah. Well... That's that for the episode. Let's do some commercials. All right. Boku no stop. There is the free version where we are wrapping up or just, <laughs> I, I mean, sorry, we'll I was going to say done more, by then. more like the I'm free version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're covering flip flappers. It's probably done by now because that's a short season. Uh, we'll be doing the woman called Fujiko Mine after that, uh, which should also be interesting. And on the premium version, we are covering Death Note, and it's fun. Except when it's terrible. But when it's terrible, it's also fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Death Note's never not enjoyable, but the ways in which it's enjoyable are very different. Uh, I, yes. I, I, feel, I still feel so bad about Naomi. Ugh. Feels bad. Don't worry, Matt. There'll be other uh, equally strong and women uh, that you will come to not like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it again. If you nope. like the abs platinum end, nope. cowards. Nope. You can find my work and other projects on and off this network at hellscaper.com. You can listen to music I make on SoundCloud at Catastrophizer or a band I'm in on Bandcamp, uh canonandeverin.bandcamp.com. You can listen to Ryan Nice Podcast Icons and Icons by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It's this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. By the time you're hearing this, we'll either just started or be starting Heaven's Word. There's probably, what, like four more recordings until then? Yeah, about that. That's all until next time. We'll be talking about the end of the video game. You're, we're free now, Genie. <laughs> See ya. How many times do we make that joke on this network? I love it. I, I think about you're free now, Genie. All the time. I don't know why. <laughs> Same. I know there's a reason I keep doing it. It's just incredibly funny to me that that's become our shorthand. <laughs>
<laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I should. If I only I could control the message when people unsubscribe from our Patreon, that's what it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, fuckers. Bye.